Okay, so welcome back. We have this amazing man who's going to bring us the word of God this morning. This is an amazing man. I know you don't know much about him, but he has served the Lord in many places throughout the world. And I'm so honored that you would come and speak here with us and be part of us and support us. And we just love you and I just want to say thank you. So thank you, Lord, for this wonderful man. Thank you for bringing him with Angelina to us, Lord. And we just pray that you bring your word through him, Lord. Touch us this morning through him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you. Um, so just, I, I'll just introduce myself a little bit. There's some people who don't know me at all. Um, my name is Diavolt, as in the power tools, except it's got a D on the end. <laughs> Same thing. If you struggle with that, call me D. Um, I served as a missionary in, in the Far East, in Taiwan, and they couldn't pronounce my name. So they called me Pastor Devil. <laughs> not a good thing, not a good thing. So I, I became Pastor D, and, and that stuck, you know, throughout my life. So you can call me D anytime, that's fine. It's, it's, uh, um, yes, my lovely wife, Angelina, who God has blessed me with. And um, I've got two sons, they're grown up. Yeah, um, I was hoping one would show up today, but, you know, young men. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to call him up. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got two sons. One is still in New Zealand, where Angelina and I lived for about eight years, working there, and I pastored a little bit there. Um, so my eldest, also Diavolt, he's still in New Zealand. And then my youngest, Michal, he's in London, working here. Um, I've been a missionary most of my life, 25 years in ministry, pastoring, missions, church planting is basically what I did for, yeah, all of those time, that time was planted a few churches all over, including London, and then took out, time out. Um, and um, today is very significant, and I, wanna, I want to, um, let's just, can we just, um, if you don't mind, can we just connect with God before we carry on. Lord, I just want to take every thought captive to your obedience. Lord, to be obedient unto your will and your plans for us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will come and speak through me, Father God, and that the words coming from me will accomplish what you have sent it out to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I want to honor Florence this morning because of the word she brought out. You don't know this, but today is very significant for Angelina and me. This is a, it's almost a restart. You know, it's that car that went into the workshop and we're pushing it out and brand new. So for Angelina and me, this is a new, a new start uh, um, on, on what we believe is our ministry. Um, and that is to bring God's word, God's message to the church, also to unbelievers. And um, part of that is the prophetic. Preaching the word of God is a prophetic ministry. But also, as Angelina, she operates very much, very strongly in the prophetic. So um, that's, that's where we're at. You know? So this morning really is a, is a new start for us. And that word was very timely and spot on. Um, and thank you for that. You know, thank you for your obedience. I know it's hard when you, when you hear a word and you don't know the people. And, you know, oh, should I give it? And, I, you know, am I hearing right, etc. And, yeah, that obedience, it, it's, um, it's amazing. So God has blessed us already. Um, every time we come here, you know, last time we came, Mary gave us a word and we were blessed. And today again. So thank you guys. Thank you for inviting me back. I, I know I've been on the screen once, 
So, um, you know, it's seldom I get invited a second time. <laughs> so I'm excited about it. I hope I don't mess it up too much today. I hope we'll be back. <laughs> um, today's message is really um, a message that Angelina and I have. I don't know how to say this. A message for the church in general. And that topic is relationship. It's about relationship. There's two things Angelina and I very strongly agree on and focus on. And and it's identity. Identity in Christ. Who we are in Christ. And how to develop that identity. And relationship. I, in in New Zealand, in Palmerston North, I I did a Bible study. So I wasn't, I, I did business. And I was unhappy in it and failing at it and all sorts of frustration in it. But, I, you know, I, I sat in a Bible study and I studied stewardship. And I felt Holy Spirit challenged me about my stewardship in my gifting. What, are, what am I doing with my gifting as a steward? Financially, I'm okay, but stewardship in my gifting. And I said, okay, Lord, forgive me, but I make deals with God. All right. I, I, I sort of, that's how I wear. I said, okay, God, if you bring it to me, I'll do something about it. And guess what happened? The next minute I got a text message from somebody. I don't know the number. And it says, do you want to pastor again? And I got such a fright. I got such a shock. I just ignored it for about two weeks. Anyway, it's a long story. At the end, it was somebody in the church we were attending. She knew I was a pastor. Her parents was in a church who the pastor left, etc. And they were looking for a pastor. I tried my best to get out of it. <laughs> you know, the, the, the first interview, I told them, I said, look. I'm born in South Africa, white. I'm a racist. And these people were looking at me like, what's wrong with you? You know, you can't come in. I told them everything I could to discourage them to, to, to take me on as pastor. And, and they still did. But praise God they did. Because when they did, I said, okay, God, so you obviously, you know, it all started with a study on stewardship. So if you, you know, if you be careful what you study in the Bible, right? God may just call you. <laughs> And I sat before God and I said, Lord, I've done church 25 years, planting churches, pastoring. And, and, and I, there's so much that I didn't enjoy, that I was almost reluctant. I didn't want to go back into it. So I said, Lord, you have to give me a foundation. Where, where do we lay the foundations? And he said, relationships. Church is about relationship. Relationship with God. Relationship with yourself and relationship with your neighbors and your brothers and sisters. And that's the foundation which we build upon. And that's the message we believe that God has given us. So my topic today is we all need fat friends. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not referring to myself only, okay? So, so the, we, we all need and need be fat friends. You'll understand when we get to the scripture of that. Um, so one of the questions in church families, we brothers and sisters, you know, in, in our travels, we get to a new church. Oh, hello, brother. And I'm like, mm, brother, I know, I know what you mean. I understand that. But you don't really know me. There's no, you know, you don't know my name. That's why you call me brother. But does that really mean what it's intended to mean? Um, we've got relationships. Now, for me... Angelina and I were talking on the way here this morning, and um, my, my eldest is going to Taiwan where he sort of grew up in his early years, and, and 
she said to me, oh, would you visit a lot of people? And I was thinking, who would I visit? And I, you know, yes, this one, that one, this one. And I said to her, I said, you know, the strangest thing is, after eight years of church planting in Taiwan, there's only about three people I remember and, and who I would contact to go and visit again that I have relationship with. And yet, I had all these people around me. You know, I had a 250 membership church in Taipei City, which is small, but it was the second largest church in Taipei City. So, you know, it, and yet I don't have many people I would visit. Why? Because the relationships I built was based on, you know, they were the eldership and the deacons and the, you know, welcome committee or the... So, so often we build relationships based on these external bonding agents. You know, we, 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 we use that and we say, yeah, I'm in a relationship, I have friends, I've, you know, I know a lot of people in church. But if we have to dissect these relationships, do we find that, well, really the only time I see you is when we're at the eldership meeting or at the committee meeting or, you know, um, or, you know, once a year at the barbecue. That's the only time we really spend time together. So we have to be careful to call... Yes, it's a relationship. Of course, the, you know, it's, I'm in a relationship with my colleagues at work. But that's a professional relationship. So my relationship with my fellow elders, I would consider as a working relationship, as a professional relationship, rather than a brother-sister relationship. What is God's expectation of the church? What does God really call us into uh, when he calls us into relationship? Um, The nature of relationship in church has to be different. Amen? It, it has to be something not only different, but better than what we can establish in the world. You know, someone asked, they did, they did a study and they asked them, why is it that these young men, especially men but women as well, would become suicide bombers? What is that? And the common denominator was that they were accepted that's all they wanted they were accepted with a purpose that's it young people are so lost if we give them a purpose we accept them with a purpose they'll do anything that's the desire in their hearts relationship goes so deep and so far that we need to understand what God has given us in the context of this the world cannot define the relationship in the church. It shouldn't. The world's definition, Hollywood's definition, cannot define church relationships. Unfortunately, that is what it's become because we build corporate church. And if we want to get away from corporate church, in my opinion, one of the pillars has to be relational and relationships we develop. Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25. I'm reading from the NIV. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's consider how we may spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more 
especially more since you see the day approaching. Isn't that very apt of our time? Who, who knows that the, the, the day is approaching? You know, we, we, we can see it, right? It's everywhere in front of us. But there's another day approaching. Can I ask in the church, and I sincerely mean this, you know that you know that you know that God has a, a next level or a next something for you as a church. Who, who genuinely can say you know that? Amen. And that's what I feel in my spirit. And that's what this message is about. I want to give you one of the tools, one of the pillars that will put you on a different playing field. You know, when I used to play rugby in South Africa, we used to play at the, in our local school. But then you will win the county, you know, the, the provincial. And then we, have, then we go to the big stadium. It's a different playing field. Different playing field. And that's what I believe God has for the church. But we, there's a few pillars that needs to be put in place. And I think you, I, I, I believe you know that. I believe you understand that. But there's a hunger and there's an expectation among you for that next. What's next, Lord? So I hope today to give you one of these pillars that we can move into that next playing field. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. This scripture is often used to make church people feel guilty for not coming to church on a Sunday. Yes, of course, it means that as well. But that's not what that scripture is about. That scripture is about brotherly love, sisterhood, brotherhood. It's about that connection where two people come and I spur you on in love and good deeds. I I encourage you. I motivate you. I challenge you. I correct you. Maybe rebuke sometimes in there. That speaks of relationship. Amen? So, do not neglect coming together is more than a Sunday service. It is on a Wednesday night. It is on a Friday morning. It is when you are in grief. It's when you are in joy. Start doing life together. That's the only way we can spur one another on in love and good deeds. Not just on a Sunday morning. Right? If you agree, you can say yes, it's okay. Is that all right? Are we allowed to talk? I, 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 listen, I'm, I, I know my English is very delicious, so I, I struggle a little bit sometimes, and you know, I'm nervous. And so you've got to talk to me, you know, say yes, say no. Right? If you agree, say amen. amen. If you disagree, um, just, just keep quiet. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm going to do some statistics. That's been done. Of course, it's in America. I'm sorry about that, but you know, that's that's the way. <laughs> that's the way. So they did they did research in in Nashville. Tennessee. That's right, Tennessee. I didn't know what the ten stood for. No, I'm kidding. So in Nashville, Tennessee, they did research, and um, they found the following statistics: seventy five percent of churchgoers say they have a significant relationship with people at the church. 75. So seven, eight people out of 10 says, yeah, I've got a very good relationship with somebody in the church. Hallelujah. The question that follows that is, what is that relationship? Is it personal? Is it friendship? 
Is it professional? Or are they your brothers and sisters? To me, there's a big, big difference there, right? So 75% says, yes, we have a, good re- we have a significant relationship with people in the church. Less than half of them are actively involved in each other's spiritual life. So how can you spur somebody on in love and good deeds if you're not even involved in their spiritual life? So, so 75, 7, 8 people out of 10 says, yes, we have a relationship. Four, three or four of those eight people are actively involved in each other's lives. Wow. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that would be the case in, in UK as well. Relationships in the church is a very important aspect. And I'm not going to, that's not my message today because I want to get to something else. It, we might be here for a while. Eh? What time do we finish? You saw that, right? Don't blame me, okay? She doesn't know. Listen, I'm used, I, I preached in, in China. And this is how it works. There's, they sit like this, right? So you'll have two, four, five. I'm up here preaching. I preach till I can't preach anymore. No stop, no nothing. You teach and you preach. We start six in the morning. You teach and you preach until your voice breaks or you're so exhausted you can't carry on anymore. Then you hand the mic over. And they carry on and carry on and carry on. That's how it... So, so be careful what you... <laughs> oh, we got food after. Okay, so I'll, I'll be quick then. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, of course, let me, let me just say, you know, People pray for unity in the church. Amen? Who wants unity in the church? Hallelujah. Who's been praying for unity in the church? Amen. Who's been actively involved in building relationships to establish unity in the church? Do you see? Relationship is a core. It's a foundation that the church cannot do without. Um, and so on. Evangelism. I've been a missionary most of my ministry. And I can tell you now, the people I led to the Lord were people I had relationships with. It's called friendship evangelism. You, you, discipleship. What is discipleship? Tuesday night is discipleship night. Everybody come into a class and I teach you. <clears throat> yeah, mm, yeah, no. Discipleship actually, what is it? Who knows what it actually means in public, biblical terms? Discipleship. It, apprentice. A disciple is an apprentice. You know what an apprentice does? They come in and they watch you do what you do, right? That mechanic fixing the car. I used to own a a mechanic workshop in, in, in New Zealand, and I had an apprentice, and all he had to do, he had to stand next to the mechanic and watch him do it. And then after the few, th- the, the mechanic will say, okay, now you tighten those bolts, and he watches him do it. And then after a while, we're like, okay, now we trust him. He can tighten bolts. Now we give him something else. Now we don't look at his work anymore. We trust he can tighten a bolt. Now we ask him to change the spark plug, etc., etc. That's an apprentice. 
You watch. Look at the disciples. What did they do? They walked with Jesus. They watched him work. Then Jesus said, now go out and do it. They went out, came back, said, you know, these devils kicked us in the teeth. What do we do here? And he says, okay, sit down, let me teach you. See how we got it back to front? We sit people down, teach them, and then we say, okay, now we've got all the knowledge to go and do it. It's a little bit different. Discipleship really is apprenticeship. Here is my problem. You cannot have proper discipleship without relationships. Mentorship is relational. Discipleship is relational. Amen? No? Oh, you, all <laughs> you forgot our agreement. Say amen if you agree. If you disagree, just keep quiet. So, and so <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, and so it carries on to maturity. Um, and then finally in ministry. Displaying the glory of God. So I hope we can agree at some stage that relationships are really important. Here is the message I want to get to today. Now, this word, very close friends of our dear friends of us from New Zealand, we meet online now, right? Uh, Graham and Mary Beth, lovely people. She's American? Yeah, poor woman. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just teasing. Um, she's American, he's English, from England, living in, in New Zealand, um, while they Kiwis now. Um, we, we genuinely love these people. They're just an amazing couple. And a few weeks back, we had our Zoom meeting. So what we do is we, get, we all get a cup of coffee and our snacks and everything. And we put the Zoom on and we, for two, three hours. Because that's what we used to do. Every week we met for two, three hours. Sometimes six hours. Um, and we will talk. And Graham read this scripture to me. Proverbs 27 verse 9. Perfume. And incense bring joy to the heart. Perfume and incense. You know incense, those sticks that burn? Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. As the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. What a beautiful scripture. I mean, when he said that, I was like, yes. Yes, Lord. The... The, the Bible describes this friendship, this relationship. He, he likens it to an emotional experience invoked by the smell of perfume or incense. Has anybody ever had the experience where a smell reminds you of something? We all have. Now, I... We, we, we ministered in India. We, we, ha- we, we still do. I'm not actively involved in it anymore, which will change. Um, we have about four schools in India that we, we started in the villages there. And these are really poor villages, and we will go to these villages. And has anybody been to India? From India? Okay. The villages, the best way I can describe it is the first time you go in there, you take small breaths. <laughs> because there's this... Thickness hanging in the air. It's not a great smell. I mean, it's, you know, it's not great. Okay, it's, it's, it smells horrible. There's this fog. There's this, it's just a, and then sometimes you walk into a home and it's cool and it smells amazing. They've got incense in the house and it smells great. It's like you've stepped out of this hot, sticky, smelly environment into this beautiful, cool, 
lovely home. That's what this reminds me of. You know, it's it, the smell of fragrance, that, that, that smell that makes your heart go, I've stepped into heaven. A friend, the sweetness, the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. You know, I said something to Florence. I said, you will never be far from the truth, from hearing from God. And the reason for that is her heart is full of love. Her motive is love. Angelina and I am doing a thing about love response. Love response sometimes says, smack on the hand. But when we come into that place of love, I know my wife will never ever do anything to harm me. Not deliberately. (laughs) Because she loves me. So whenever I go, ooh, you've offended me now, you know. My, My sensitive little heart is offended. Then I have to ask, what was her motive? Her motive has always been and will always be love. So I have to step back and say, what is this offense I'm feeling here? Why am I so offended? When we get over the offense, what does the Bible teach us? We enter the glory of God. That's another topic. Completely. But a friendship will sometimes offend. But the pleasantness, the sweetness... Of a friendship where somebody comes and counsels you. Maybe not what you want to hear always. Maybe sometimes exactly what you want to hear. But that's pleasantness. That's the friendship relationship the Bible describes. How beautiful is that? There's some things in the scripture that we have to look at and and we try to. The first thing, friendship in the body is a joy. Amen? Amen. The word joy there is to cause to rejoice, gladden, to make glad. Listen, friendships, relationships, I want to get away from the word friendship because different people, that word invokes different things. Relationships in the church, relationships between brothers and sisters should invoke joy, gladness. It should make you want to rejoice. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. And we have friends like that. We all know them. The body of Christ is a source of joy to the souls of one another. Amen. We're not here to break each other down. I don't. With my wife strongly prophetic, there's something, and we're learning, you know, we're learning like a baby, falling over, knees bruised, but we get up and we go again. But one of the things in the prophetic that, we, that we're learning is that you don't need to tell me about my sin. I know. I know. What I want to hear, what I need to hear often is that it's okay to be forgiven, to be washed in the blood, and to be clothed in white again. Does that make sense? There's a difference, right? You know, I can come in and tell you all your sin and how ugly you are and dirty and filthy. Or I can say, man, in the blood washed, you are beautiful, clean, pure, dressed in white. Amen. 
So in the church, this relationships we build is a cause to rejoice. It's a source of joy to the soul. And it's crucial. Have you ever had those moments where people come and visit? So one of the things I used to do a lot is invite people into our home for meals, etc. And um, we'll have a meal together and coffee and tea and all sorts. And then they leave. And boy, when they step out that door, there's this burden on me, this heaviness on me. Like, did I say anything wrong? Did I offend them? Sometimes I felt so guilty. I was like, man, I'm not a good person. Yeah, some of it's my own insecurities. But have you ever had a, is it just me? Some of you have. That friendship needs to be (laughs) brought into sanctification. Because that's not a sweet aroma as perfume. Amen? That's not the sweetness of a friend coming into my home. No, you want that friendship when you come together. And this is it. I mean, we haven't seen each other in, what, four years, I think it was? But you know what? When we met up, it was like we've never left. Does that make, you know what I'm saying. There's a joy in that. There's, it makes you want to rejoice. It makes you want to leap for joy just to, yeah, we're going to see them tomorrow. Yes, we're going to be together. Amen? Hallelujah. I hope that relationship in the body is a pleasant Sweet aroma. The taste of sweetness as honey to the tongue. That is a relationship in the body of God. You know the saying, it leaves a bitter taste in your mouth? If you have relationships in the church that leaves a bitter taste in your mouth, maybe it's time you find different relationships. Sometimes we have to move on. And if that is the case... Maybe it's time that you become the sweetness. So you know what? When you say those things, it really hurts me. I I really want us to be in relationship, but I struggle to get beyond certain elements. I'm going to give you one small example of this. In, in, In New Zealand, started this church, started pastoring, and the couple that, that ran the church for more than a year, they were the elders, So they were used to being in charge. Now they've brought me in, so I come in and I make a few changes. And and boy, oh boy, she resisted it. She was, was, you know, she's not going to allow this to happen. And so I sat her down. I took her to a coffee shop and I sat her down. And I said, you know what? Said we know each other well enough. Number one, we had a relationship. Said we know each other well enough. You know I come from love. But you are trampling in my rose garden. I'm not going to let you trample my rose garden. This is my garden. This is my, my soul. This is my ministry. This is what I believe God has called me to do. And I need to put boundaries up to protect that. And you have, you've illegally climbed over the wall and you're trampling my rose garden. I'm not going to allow that. You know what happened? She took that on board. And this is a sign of maturity. She took that on board. That was on a Friday. That Sunday, for the first time, she walked up to me and she hugged me. And all that resistance was broken. We came into unity and we were able to move on. And the church prospered because of that. 
We saw other relationships developing naturally. It's, it's amazing when you can really sit down in love and talk about these things. You know, there's a sweetness. Do not let relationships have a bitter taste in your mouth. And do not be that bitter taste in other people's mouths. You know, we have this thing about, as Christians, we should pray for everybody. Prayer, absolute one of the foundations. You know, I have to say that what I talk about here, I'm not disregarding anything else. I'm talking about a pillar. So everything else is still important, right? It's not more important or less important. But this is one of the pillars, one of the foundational. Actually, there's eight pillars in church planting or successful church life. Relationship is one of those eight pillars that you have to have. Prayer, of course, but relationship is one of them. In church, we often, you have to pray. Who, who prays for a loved one, a son, a daughter, a husband, a spouse, whatever? We pray for them. We intercede for them. We fast and pray, but we do not enter into a relationship with them. I had a very dear friend whom I loved very much. She passed away not long after this. Actually, her son fell in love with a girl. She's not a Christian. And he was planning to get married. So he came home. He said, Mom, Dad, I want to marry this girl. And she said to him, you're not welcome in my home. Because you're bringing a heathen. You're marrying a heathen. She's not saved. You cannot do it. Her husband called me up and he said, what do I do? I said, well, we'll have to sit down and talk. We sat down and, and she, was, she was just not movable on the issue. She was willing to break relationship because of a somewhat bent belief of what the word teaches her. Of course it was done out of a motive of love, you know, because she wanted her son to be in a good relationship, etc., but she was willing to break. How often do we do that with our own children, with our own loved ones, colleagues at work, where we, we would rather break relationship. Oh, I'm a Christian, you know. I, I, you know. Sometimes it's just, you know. <sighs> this is not a license to excuse sin and unrighteousness. Please understand that, you know. But at the same time, look. I'm going to tell you this story. My first pastor, beautiful man. I went to an English church. I'm Afrikaans, and I went to an English church, born again, baptized there. We amalgamated with an Afrikaans church, so I had two pastors. Beautiful men, absolute teachers of the word. Turns out both were gay. Wow. I mean, you can imagine, those were my mentors and, and the shock it had. But I kept relationship. In fact, years after, one of them came to visit me in Cape Town and I took him around and we were close. Did I agree with his lifestyle? Certainly not. But as a man, as a person, as a brother, there's too much. I know him. I love him as he is. Jesus loves us as we are. Hallelujah. Relationship. Am I willing to break the relationship? Or do I want to be right? 
We, we're so sometimes so focused on being right as Christians that we break relationship. I tell you now, your prayers are going to be hard to be effective. It's going to be difficult to be effective. You know, the Bible says, husband, if you argue with your wife, your prayers won't be that effective. Right? And it's for everything. Stay in relationship. It does not mean we excuse. It does not mean we pardon and we're not righteous. All it means, we love the person regardless of the stuff around them. Now, Proverbs 27 verse 9. The American Standard Version says, uses a different word at the beginning of that scripture, which is actually included in the original Hebrew. What is that word? So remember, the first one said, perfume. This scripture now starts and it says, oil and perfume rejoice the heart, makes the heart glad. Oil and perfume makes the heart glad. So doth, does, the sweetness of a man's friend that comes of a hearty counsel, right? So somebody you can fellowship with. Somebody close. The word oil there is very important. And this is where now we're moving into what I really believe God wants you to hear as a church. The word oil. In the Bible, oil, uh, according to Baker's Evangelical Dictionary, you see, just so that you know, I do read stuff up, right? I just don't just make it up. Oil is used in many ways. Mostly it refers to olive oil. But it includes different variations of oil, all sorts and kinds. We know that oil is associated with anointing. The anointing oil, we know the oil runs through the beard, the anointing of God. We know it's associated with the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we anoint items that consecrate that item to make it holy, set apart for God, people, items, etc. So oil has a significant meaning in the word. The presence of the Holy Spirit, the anointing, and finally, the word oil also refers to prosperity. You must think of an Old Testament person hearing this word oil. Here is the key. Do you know what that Hebrew word oil actually means? Fat. (laughs) Hallelujah. In Africa, in Africa... A skinny man is a poor man. Women don't want to marry a skinny man. In Africa, you have to be bulky because you're a rich man. You're a prosperous man. In the West, we're different, right? <laughs> because he's smiling with these. You know. <laughs> we have to be fat friends. You, you hear what I'm saying? We have to be anointed friends. We have to be Holy Spirit presence Friends, we have to be friends that prospers each other. Amen. I need those friends in my life and I need to be that friend. So it does make sense. We we, we have to have fat friends. Hallelujah. The wealth of my relationship, how it prospers me 
and my friends or those I'm in a relationship. The consecration of my relationship. The consecration of my relationship with you should inspire you to find, to seek God and his will and do it. What is holiness? See, a lot of people confuse holiness and righteousness. They think holiness means there's no sin. No, holiness means you set apart for God and his will alone. You're consecrated. My relationship with you should inspire you. Remember the Hebrew 10 we read? You know, find ways, seek out ways to stir up in each other love and good deeds. My relationship with you should be that oil, that fatness, that prosperity, that anointing, that presence of God that spurs you on to seek God and his will for your life and do it. Thank you. (laughs) The inspiration of a relationship in my life helps me to grow, to mature, and to become all God has created me to be. I wish somebody taught me this when I was dating. When I was dating, if I knew this, wow, I praise God I have a wife today that I can tell you is exactly this. She brings out the best in me. She finds the gold. I don't know how. I mean, you know, I only see seaweed. But she finds the gold in me, always does. If, we, if we're looking for partners, it's so important. You know, find that person that will bring out the best in you. Find that person that will inspire you to grow and mature and become all God has for you. Hallelujah. The fatness rejoices the heart. It's a friend bringing sweet counsel. Now, I spoke about us. Sorry, I'm taking too long. Can you guys do another five minutes? Just, just look at some of your neighbors and make sure they're awake. Because I see a lot of, some eyes are turned backwards. I'm seeing the white of the eye. I'm slightly worried, you know. We're finishing. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. Isaiah 10, 27. And you all will know this verse. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall depart off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck. The yoke shall be destroyed by reason of thee. The anointing shall break the yoke, lift the burden. We all know that scripture. The anointing That word anointing is the exact same word that we just read, oil. The fatness. The fat of the ox will break the yoke. In other words, the ox becomes so bulky and so fat that the yoke, that wooden yoke, breaks. Hallelujah. When we're in relationships that there's fatness, where there's the anointing, when the presence of God is there, when there's a real seeking of God within a relationship, 
It'll break the yoke of bondage upon each other. It will release the burdens from one another. That's your next playing field. That's what I sincerely believe God has for you as a church. We're going to go to the next playing field. And this is how it's going to happen. We're going to build relationships that is becoming so rich, so fat, that no yoke can hold us anymore. That the chains of bondage, the yokes that destroy us and bind us and holds us back will be broken because of true friends, true relationships. Those burdens that weigh us down, those depression, traumas, shame, guilt. Oh, it's going to be destroyed. Why? Because I've got a friend who sees gold in me. And always calls it forth. See, I see the seaweed and I feel, oh gosh, you know, I'm not worthy. I can't do this. I can't do that. Look at my past. I can't go forward. And then you have somebody who comes in that relationship and says, you know what? Just look forward. It's illegal to talk about the past. Amen. Oh. I hope that you can find the encouragement to actively build relationships that will grow so fat that every yoke will be destroyed and every burden will be lifted. Yes. Amen? It means you've got to work. It means you've got to work. I just, I'm finished and, and I just want to finish off with this. Guilt and shame has no place in a born-again believer. Absolutely none. My two sons, my eldest called me up a few weeks ago and he says, Dad, I'm thinking to take it to the next level with my girlfriend. I thought to myself, what could be the next level? You know what I mean? Anyway, he was trying to tell me he wants to get married and, you know, but he's, he's 32 years old, so he's not going to ask my permission. But he wants to know, do I agree or not? That's our agreement that when they pick a life partner, I will have input. I'm not deciding for them, but as a father, nobody loves those two boys like I love them. So I want to have input. And I said to him this. I said, no women were ever good enough for my boys. <laughs> as a father, have they messed up? Definitely. Have they done things that we go, oh no. You know, like shooting the neighbor's kids with a BB gun. (laughs) But you know what? When we're together, they don't have to be ashamed of that. They don't come with their heads hanging into my presence because they did things that didn't lift up the name and the expectation I have of them. Why? Because my love goes beyond that. Love covers. And I want to say to you here now, whatever, whatever you have done, you stand before God, as they said in the old days, chin up, shoulders back, chest out. You're a son of daughter of the Most High God. Hallelujah. No shame. Get rid of that shame. And you may say to me, devil, you don't know what I've done. I can say to you, thank God you don't know what I've done. (laughs) 
Let no, never let shame hold you back. Rebuke it in Jesus' name. Rebuke it in Jesus' name. Guilt? What for? If we still walk in guilt, what are we doing? We're nullifying the blood on the cross. But you, do you understand the concept? Jesus died so that your guilt can be taken away. Don't put him back on the cross. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.